So today, um, many churches are celebrating what we could call the seventh week of Easter. Um, we've been going through the season of Easter since Easter Sunday a few weeks ago. Um, other churches are, can choose. You can kind of choose based on the lectionary today. And you can choose that or you can celebrate the ascension of our Lord. And we're going to talk about the ascension this morning, which is a really important moment in Jesus' life and ministry. The ascension, if y'all know what that means, is kind of a word we don't use too often these days, but the ascension is that moment when Jesus ascended, when he rose up into heaven in front of his followers' eyes. You know, Jesus died the first time, right? But then three days later, he rose, he spent some time reaching out to people, showing himself to lots of people in his risen form, and then um, there came that moment when Jesus ascended into heaven in front of them. He left the earth not by dying a second time, but he went up into heaven. And the disciples uh, saw him, and this was the last time that they saw Jesus um, here on earth. And today we're going to talk about this moment. We're going to talk about the way the disciples responded in this moment. And we're going to talk about what it could all potentially mean for us today. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 1. Verses 1 through 11, so if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can. Also, we'll have the words from that text right on the screen behind me. We've been in the Gospels all year, and we're going to stay in the Gospels, but I'm, I'm taking one detour to Acts today, okay? So don't, don't get mad about that, but we're going to look at Acts. This is still about Jesus. Um, and so, let me read this. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus This is the same person who wrote the book of Luke, by the way. So he's saying, in my former book, the book of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he is suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here's the ascension part. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So we're going to talk about that in just a few moments. First, I just want to say a couple of things. So over the past few weeks, we've, you may have not really noticed this, but we've been revisiting some ideas and concepts and frameworks that have become really important to our church over the last few years. We talked about the Holy Spirit as paraclete. You remember that from last week? 
the one who falls down beside us, the one who walks with us through the ups and the downs of life. We talked about two weeks ago, our friend Justin came and preached and talked about drawing a wide circle, including everyone in our community, regardless of who they are. We talked about Jesus being the good shepherd and how we're called to be like Jesus and be shepherds ourselves and shepherd the flock with justice. We were encouraged by Peter's story, um, how Jesus redeemed him and called him to lead his church, even though Peter messed up so many times, and even though he profoundly messed up when he denied he even knew who Jesus was. We talked about right after Easter, our locked rooms, and how the disciples were hiding out in a locked room after the crucifixion, and the courage that Jesus gave them, and can also give us to unlock those doors and step out into the dangerous and scary times and face those hard things that we see in front of us. You know, I think it's valuable to go back and kind of revisit um, some of the most fundamental understandings of God and our world that we have gleaned from Scripture and our life together over the many years that we've been together as a church studying the Bible here at Embrace. And today my message is one that we have talked about before a few times over the years, but I think it's really, really important. And it really, for me, it has been a transformative way for me to think about my faith, and how I need to live and work in this world. And so this is really, really important to me, and, and hopefully it will be to you. It's given me focus. It's helped me understand how I ought to live right now as I wait for Jesus to come back. Christ ascended, and now we're waiting for him to return. And so my message today is simple. It is called this, that we are called to be awed to heaven and also rooted and earth. Since the beginning of the year, we've spent all of our time focusing on Jesus, and we're going to keep doing that. Jesus is at the center of our faith, our church, our lives, our world, and we've spent many weeks reflecting on Jesus' life, his teachings, his mission. And we've learned that Jesus' mission is our mission as well. Jesus was born, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus ascended into heaven, and we believe now Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus promised that he would return, and now we wait for his return. And the question I want to wrestle with today is, what do we do in the meantime? While we wait for Jesus to return, what do we do now? Do we just kind of sit on our hands and impatiently wait for Jesus to come back? Or do we do something while we wait? Does it matter how we live while we wait one of my favorite biblical kind of scholars and thinkers is a guy named Walter Brueggemann. And um, my brother's here this morning, and he, he studied Brueggemann a little bit back in the day and introduced me to him actually a long time ago. But Walter Brueggemann argues that biblical Christianity should be awed to heaven and rooted in earth. He says we should be able to join the angels in praise, but also keep our feet in time and place. What do we do in the meantime? Well, I love the way he puts it. We remain awed to heaven, but rooted in earth. And this idea has given us language to talk about how we as Christians here at Embrace live and work in the world in the meantime. We keep our eyes on heaven, worshiping and praising God and praying and, and keeping our eyes focused up there on heaven. But we also keep our feet rooted in earth, living out our faith right now. Living out our mission right now in real time, in real places, in real communities. 
We are committed to spiritual practices and prayer and all of that. But we're also deeply concerned and committed to our communities, the places where we live and work. The verses I want to focus on specifically today are these, verses 10 and 11. It says they were looking up intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white, two angels stood beside them. And they said, men of Galilee, what are y'all doing? Why do y'all stand there just looking up to the sky? It says this same Jesus who was taken from you to heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. So the angels essentially asked the disciples, why are you just standing there looking up into heaven? Yes, Jesus went up there. He went up into heaven right before your eyes. But your job isn't just to look to heaven. You have to stay rooted here on earth. Don't just passively wait for Jesus to return. You've got a calling. You've got a job to do. Jesus is going to return, but in the meantime, there is work to be done. He told y'all to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promised spirit, so get to it. You know, just like the disciples in that moment, Christians ever since the beginning have been prone to keep our gaze focused up there on heaven without paying much attention to what we're facing right now in the here and now. That perhaps sometimes we've been awed to heaven, but not very rooted in earth. This is what we could call religious escapism, um, if you want to put a name to it. It's keeping our gaze focused solely on heaven without paying much attention to the here and now. You know, people say things like, earth is just a pit stop on my way to heaven. There's an old hymn that we used to sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And that's true, it will be. But there's this mentality that creeps in that, that says that we're going to like escape this world and be raptured away to heaven. And I think that there is a problem with this kind of thinking. Because if we're only focused on the beyond, then our faith doesn't say much about the here and now. And many people increasingly are seeing the failure of this escapist kind of pie in the sky, life is all good version of Christianity. You know, one reason I, I, I know, one reason many people have stopped going to church is because church seems very out of touch. Church seems very out of touch with what we're facing, the harsh realities, all the terribleness and difficulties we're facing around us. You know, um, excuse me for mentioning Kanye and Jay-Z, but, you know, perhaps, perhaps they were right that there is no church in the wild. <laughs> People have told me that they struggle with church because they see chaos in the world. They see real-life tragedy, pain, confusion, doubts, and they show up to church, and often church has nothing to say about any of it. So how do you live out your faith in these trying times? Well, it's a question that I think we all need to ask ourselves, but we've not, in my opinion, uh, that many of us have not been very well equipped to answer that question. How do we live out our faith in these trying times? We often have a very hard time knowing how to respond to all the difficulties around us. For example, one thing that over the last couple of years in particular, and embraced the last few years, we've been wrestling with is, is just like, what do we do? How do we live out our faith when all this racist violence just continues to, to rage on all around us? What do we do? What is the responsibility, particularly of white Christians in a nation that was founded on with slavery and white supremacist beliefs and ideas, and, and often in the church, the church has no voice to speak to this. <laughs> And we've not been very equipped to even know how to wrestle with these things. 
Another issue that is so current and critical and important right now is is the the way that that we haven't been really well equipped, and I've talked about this recently more and more, but we haven't been given the tools and to know how to bring Jesus' love and invitation to our lesbian and gay and bisexual and queer and trans people who are experiencing such rejection and injustice and, and lack of compassion and acceptance by the church. And a lot of Christians are like, I don't even know how to make sense of this. I don't even know what to do. We haven't been taught how to make sense of war. And, and what to think about war and peace is violence just rages on. And, and we don't know how to think of this in light of Jesus' life and his teachings. And so we just kind of go along with whatever, you know. It's great to send the bombs and the planes. And we celebrate and glorify these things, even in church sometimes. We need to learn how to do theology, I think, that's current. How to contextualize scripture. How to discern kind of the weightier matters of the Bible. And this is what we're trying to do at Embrace. This is the kind of work we're trying to do. We're trying to do theology that makes sense right now and ask the hard questions about how do we follow Jesus right now in this time and place that we're living in today. And this is not easy work because the Bible was written a really long time ago. It is an ancient, ancient, ancient book. <laughs> and and is, we're 2,000 years removed from the most recent books in the Bible, and we are many, many thousands of miles removed to the places that this was actually written. And so we've got to dig in and really ask these hard questions and do the work. You know, one thing that I just want to briefly say something about is, is one thing I hear from people when we talk about pressing issues, like today, we're mentioning the, the mass shootings and gun violence. A lot of people uh, will say, well, John, that, that's political, and, and my faith isn't about all that. And the most, I'm telling you, the most criticism and pushback I've ever received as a pastor is that I'm too political sometimes. And, and this is a thing that people say sometimes. And I want to say two quick things about that. When I talk about politics, I don't have much interest at all in the whole partisan politic thing and the things you see on CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC, and all that stuff. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about you know, all the kind of just negativity and the divisiveness and the attacks and all that kind of stuff. When I'm talking about politics, I'm talking about a more traditional way we talk about this. It's the way we organize ourselves together as a society. And that actually matters deeply. The way we organize our life together in community. Politics matter in church because the way we organize our church matters. The way we organize our neighborhood, our city, our, our states, our nations, even our world. And this stuff makes a difference. It's really important because it's about people's real lives. Politics impacts mental health, impacts physical health, it impacts families and individuals and their abilities to provide for themselves. It's concerned with justice and equity and peace. All very biblical concepts. You know, we talk about what happened in Texas and Uvalde. Politics matters when we're thinking about these things. And, and sometimes we have to think about policy in order to try to create a world that is actually better for everyone so that the least are taken care of. Jesus' ministry was actually very political. You may not know this, but think about it. Jesus directly challenged the power structures of his day to such a degree that he was wrongfully arrested. He was put on trial in the middle of the night. And then he was condemned to death by execution on a cross. He was killed by the authorities. If his message didn't have anything to do with politics, they would have just let him do his thing. And many of his followers, if you look through Acts, they're getting arrested. They're going before 
courts. They're going before leaders. They're being called out for what they do and the way that they were living and working in the world. And many of them were also arrested and some of them were also executed. So something about the gospel was political enough to get them into a whole lot of trouble. All right? Another thing I want to say is that we talk about things that that are political in that sense because of this idea we're talking about today. That we are awed to heaven, but we also need to be rooted in earth. And I believe this. We need the tools to better discern how our faith affects the way we live privately, but also publicly in this world. You know, often churches are confused and confounded and quiet when tragedy upon tragedy continues to happen all around. And Martin Luther King Jr., argued that the church should have a voice. He argued that the church ought to be the conscience of the state. Dustin Pugel pointed this out in one of our voices of our community back during the pandemic that we were emailing out to our church family. But he he put this quote in his email that the church, this is from King, the church must be reminded that it is not the master or servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and critic of the state and never its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. And I'm concerned that we've already become an irrelevant social club without much authority. King preached these words decades ago, but they're just as relevant as they, uh, now as they were then. Much of Christianity lacks a voice um, and a strong moral imagination. We don't know how to discern God's will for wholeness and holiness and very real and tangible realities that we face. You know, you'll maybe see the signs out in the community that say, love everyone. I love the message. But it's one thing to say, love everyone. But what does that actually look like? A love without teeth and actual tangible practical things doesn't mean a whole lot. What does it mean to love our immigrant neighbors? Well, it might mean getting political and working for better policy so that they can be welcomed into our communities better, right? It's another thing to say we will pray for peace. But how is God calling us to be active peacemakers? You know, we've been so focused sometimes up there on heaven in the afterlife, and we've not been very rooted in time and place. And this escapist theology lacks power for today, for the here and now. But it's a, it's a theology, it's a gospel that it's attractive to a lot of people. And Justo Gonzalez, a, a biblical scholar from Latin America, I love what he says. He says, from the point of view of today's kingdoms, such a gospel is innocuous. It doesn't have any power. It doesn't challenge them in any way. If the kingdom has to do with the beyond, then those who preach it will have no conflict with the here and now. That is why such a truncation of the gospel is attractive. Not only to those who conduct affairs in the present reign, but also to many Christians who thereby seek to avoid problems and conflicts with the present order. Escapist theology that's all about getting to heaven is attractive to comfortable people who maybe don't want to face the harsh realities in the world. For those of us who maybe have the luxury of just turning off the TV and and the internet and ignoring all the problems around us, most people in the world don't have that luxury because they're actually experiencing the problems firsthand. (laughs) This type of theology doesn't call us anything to do about it, right? Because if we have our gaze focused solely on heaven, and we forget about the mission that Jesus gave us before he left. Here's something I've said before, but I want to say it again. Church shouldn't help us escape reality. 
but should teach us how to deal with reality in healthy and loving ways. And, and that's what we're trying to do here at our church. You know, people in power often love this type of escapist theology because it doesn't challenge them in any way. If this life now is just a blip and it's all about believing the right things so you can get into heaven, it doesn't matter if you dump toxic waste into our streams. It doesn't matter if you go to war with your enemies. It doesn't matter if you murder people on the electric chair. It doesn't matter if you love assault rifles. It doesn't matter if you deny people access to health care and food and resources that sustain life. It doesn't matter how you pay and treat your employees. This is how folks, and this sadly happens many, many times really, this is how folks can joke about shooting immigrants at the border and profess Jesus as their Savior at the same time. This is how someone can be a terrible husband and father and still go to church every week. <laughs> because the faith is all about the beyond. It's about believing the right things instead of living out our ministry and mission of Jesus right here and now. I've talked about this before, but I can't think of any better example of how this has played out in our world in tragic and terrible ways. In the Bible Museum in D.C., which I've not been, but I want to go, um, I've read about an exhibit there that displays an abridged version of the Bible. If you're going to abridge the Bible and take out parts of it, you're making a mistake right away, right? But it's an abridged version of the Bible, and it was specifically edited for the enslaved people who are working in these plantations all across the South. And the title of the Bible, Parts of the Holy Bible Selected for the Use of Negro Slaves. Now the makers of this Bible, they went in and removed every passage that expressed themes of freedom, of equality, resistance. They took them all out. So, for instance, the entire story of the Exodus, right? Important story in the Bible. It was taken out. That story where the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt, it's omitted. They removed that because they did not want them reading that story. For the slave owners, it was fine for the enslaved to keep their gaze fixed on heaven and long for freedom in the afterlife, but it was not acceptable for them to believe in freedom for today. Frederick Douglass shared that a slave owner refused him uh, the Bible, wouldn't let him read the Bible, because the slave owner knew if he read the Bible, there would be no keeping him, he said. Because the Bible is a, a book of freedom. It's a book that sets us free, not just when we die, but in the here and now. The gospel isn't solely about avoiding hell and getting to heaven. I, I'm, I'm excited about heaven, <laughs> but that's not all it's about. The gospel is also power for the here and now. And so let's not get our gaze um, let's not get trapped with our gaze fixed solely on heaven. Yes, we long for that day, you know, when Jesus is going to come back down. And, and I'm excited about it when he's going to finish his work. But in the meantime, we are called and we are empowered to continue the work that he started a long time ago. We don't just honor his legacy. He is with us, working through us, empowering us through his eternal spirit that lives within us. And he's inviting us to join the work. You know, the resurrection was not like the, the final moment of Christianity. It's really the beginning of all of it. That is the moment when, when it all started. And, and the ministry of Jesus continues on from that very day through us, through his spirit, working in us and through us. So let's stay odd to heaven. We're going to keep worshiping and praising God and connecting with him and, and being excited about that day 
when it all will be set right. So let's stay odd to heaven, but also let's stay rooted in earth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.